Welcome to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast with me, your host, Emily Rose, where we take a subversive look at all the celebrity gossip you want and some you never knew you needed. We'll take a deep dive into the hidden meanings of what's really going on in the world of pop culture, because here we contain multitudes and read between the lines. Join me. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast. I'm your host, Emily Rose. How are we doing this week? How is everybody doing? Right now, it's a beautiful sunny day outside. I'm enjoying the weather. I'm also a bit of a meat wagon this week, just kind of dragging myself around and doing the best I can. But something that has been picking up my spirits that always does the trick is I reward myself for (laughs) accomplishing anything even remotely difficult by getting myself a little treat. Uh, And lately that treat has been plants and I kind of overdid it. I (laughs) went to get some tools from the hardware store and I came home with a car load full of plants recently, but no regrets because I like my living space to be a little jungly. And one of those things is a hibiscus tree. And I thought, is this too much? But since I've gotten it, it has been blooming nonstop. And so whatever your version of getting yourself plants is, I say do that. Or maybe you don't need to search outside of yourself for uh, (laughs) external (laughs) validation and you don't need to reward yourself for every little thing, but it's also not a bad idea. Something else that I'm thinking of introducing back into my life, speaking of (laughs) silly little rewards for my silly little tasks is uh, the sticker system. This was introduced to me by a friend of mine who's a doctor and kept this kind of low key, but basically she has a list of things that she wants to accomplish. And when she does it, she gives herself a sticker. And this started for her when she was in med school and (laughs) was just trying to get through and was also helping other students um, and started just rewarding them for being really stressed out by putting stickers on their papers and it brought them great joy. And it sounds so childish, but it's actually kind of amazing. This sounds uh, completely absurd to you. That's okay. But find that little reward for yourself and do it because I don't know if the world is just feeling especially crazy these past couple of weeks and dystopian, or if it's maybe it's just me. I think it's, it's the collective, but find that sticker, that hibiscus tree, a little pastry, whatever it is, you have permission and instructions to go get that thing because you're doing amazing, sweetie. (laughs) So I'm going to get right into it because I have a pretty packed episode. I have such a great guest on today. This is a very self-indulgent podcast. And by that, I mean that it's set up so that I have people in mind who I think are funny and interesting and knowledgeable. And I have no other excuse to reach out to them out of the blue, but with the podcast, I do. (laughs) And Molly McPherson is one of those people. So she is a PR expert. She runs a PR firm that specializes in crisis management and communications. So when everything is going haywire in a absolute disastrous, catastrophic public way, people call her and she helps them through it. And I got to 
ask her all kinds of questions that actually came from you guys. So all these questions came from you via my Instagram. I got to ask her about best and worst examples of handling celebrity crises, the royal family, which is a topic I've been too shy to broach on my own because people get a little cuckoo over that. And the whole Megan Harry PR train, John Mulaney, Rachel Hollis. This type of stuff is gold to me. I'm going to get right into it. But before I do, please like and subscribe. (laughs) Oh, wait, you can't like a podcast. (laughs) Subscribe to the podcast. Hit me with a five-star review if you haven't already for the Patreon. So as a quick little reminder, I put out an extra episode on Patreon every week that comes out on Wednesday. It's $5 a month. And this week I have Laura Danger on who you might know from TikTok. She's the one who talks about weaponized incompetence on TikTok. And it's one of my favorite accounts, even though (laughs) I don't have kids, but I love seeing her put in place the mediocre and below mediocre men who don't do the bare minimum. And she explains to them why. And She's just brilliant. So she's going to be coming on the Patreon and talking about Courtney Sodden and Chrissy Teigen, the whole scandal and life and trajectory of Courtney Sodden's wild, wild journey. And that's about it. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Okay. And we're back with Molly McPherson, who's an expert in PR crisis management. Molly, hi. Hi, Emily. It's so good to speak with you. It's so good to speak with you too. I've been so overly excited for this interview because I love all things PR and you're the expert. Like this is like going right to the source of knowledge. On all and of it. I, like you, I love PR, but I love pop culture. So that's why I'm excited to speak with you. It's a great intersection in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I mean, we have so many topics to cover. I, I I don't know if we'll have time for all of it today, but I, before we get into that, I want to ask about your background in PR and how you got started in crisis management. Well, crisis management, people who work in crisis management, they often get started in it by something happening to them. They fall into crisis management. They have a job and then something happens and all of a sudden they say, hey, I'm a crisis manager and, and I am uh, no different. So my they, background- they have, their, they have their own crisis? Well, no, well, they could, no, but they usually work somewhere and then they're kind of brought in and they see it from the inside. And okay. it's like a drug that once you get a taste of that drug, it's the gateway, right? You can't let go because it's exciting and you get to see um, tragedy, disaster, whatever it is in real time. And the part of it is you, you get to help, you know, you really get to help people. You get to help them rebuild, recover, like all the good things. And so my background years ago, and this shows the difference in our ages, uh, when, uh, social media was just starting 2007, 2008, I worked for FEMA, the federal emergency management agency. So I worked disasters. So I saw them firsthand Wow! and this is when Twitter was coming out. So I was an early adopter of it. And I worked for an agency that everyone distrusted, disliked the press was, was all over FEMA as the worst agency, but I saw that there were a lot of people that liked it. So there was some misinformation out there and I thought, oh, we could use social media, to fix it. And ever since then, here I am decades later, I still love being at this intersection of how social media frames a story, you know, good and bad. And I love PR and I love crisis work. So here I am. Okay. Amazing. And yeah, it's funny you say that because I was one of those people who was fully caught up in that misinformation. I was, you know, way back in the day, like during that 
time period, I was in this super pedantic activist mode, seeing everything through black and white, but not really being a fully formed adult. And I thought PR marketing, all that stuff was just this bullshit that corporations use to like cover their, their, their trail, you know, when they, when they mess up and, and that can be true, but it's a tool. It's what you make of it. Yes. And what I like too, and, and you already understand this just by your podcast and your TikTok is PR when done well, you don't notice the problems that are there, but PR done not well reveals <laughs> a hidden motive, the hidden motivation, the cracks that are there. And that's what I love is getting behind, getting the real story and finding out really what is the motivation and why something happens. So that is my, that's my drug <laughs> and yeah. pop culture is where you see it on full display. Yeah. And it, it's so interesting too, because I've always loved pop culture, but I watch the audience and the consumers of it get so much more discerning and so much more savvy and picking these things apart. I think TikTok does have a role, but just in general, people are getting very wise to this stuff. So I imagine PR has to adapt to also become more sophisticated. Do you have any thoughts on oh, that? Emily, so I just gave a talk <laughs> last week and I was in a room, let's say mostly Gen Xers, boomers. Um, and there were some younger people in there too. And I'm giving a talk about PR, social media PR crises. And I'll, and I'll mention these little incidents that happened. And one of the things I talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, was the Kate Spade email about how Ulta oh came out. God. Right. You know, you talked but, about But it. I would love, could you just very quickly for, for people who didn't see that just explain what what happened there yeah so i'll explain what everyone blasted me on my replies on tiktok when i did the tiktok about oh the kate spade email no, don't <laughs> yes. listen to the comments yeah They're oh idiots. i know so idiots. the so alta <laughs> comes out with an email written obviously by one copywriter not much of a vetting process there and the email stated come hang with kate spade it was about an event that they were going to have about the the kate spade product and Kate Spade um, uh, tragically committed suicide by hanging. And that became like a lot of these stories when there's a corporate mistake, it, you know, blows up and, you know, in one day, and then there's all this commentary. And so I'm getting tagged on TikTok, on Twitter, you know, everyone's saying this is right up your alley. And because, and because I didn't get the Ulta email, which I should have, which I thought, why didn't I get that? Um, and I commented on it, that there should be some type of vetting process. And the feedback was, you don't understand corporate email. You don't understand email. And I thought, okay, I'm a business owner. I write emails every day, but that's not here nor there. But it shows how quickly a crisis can flare up if you don't have a system in place to catch that. So in my mind, it is some 25-year-old yes. low-paid copywriter who has to write an email. There's no vetting process whatsoever. Um, people of a different generation, you know, up the chain, they don't understand Reddit. They don't understand viral. They don't get the nature of it. So in my talk, when I'm talking about this anecdote, the young people right away, I could tell the Gen Z in the room, not really Gen Z, but millennial, raised their hands, nodding. They knew the story. Um, boomer and above, their eyes just open like, what, what? Like they're scared. And so I love that I come in, you know, I come in hot as a Gen Xer because I know both sides of it. And I can see the corporate breakdown. I can see why it goes viral. I can see why younger generations, um, why they flare things up online. And it's just so interesting to me. So that's why I love what I do. It's I speak to the fear. Those are the people who hire me.
the people who are scared out of their mind. Yeah. And, and it's so, (laughs) it's interesting. It must be terrifying to run a corporation or maybe some of them don't have real emotions, but you can have these instances where you have a CEO tweeting out something horrific and that's a very obvious snafu and like that shouldn't happen. But then you have an infinite number of 25 year old interns, freelancers, whatever recruited to do a little bit of copy for this company and they can do just as much damage as a CEO saying something in an interview. Oh, absolutely. And there's this discordance that happens in all businesses where on the one hand, they assume, oh, they're junior, you're on the phone all day, just do our do our TikTok, create that TikTok thing, or you sit down on Facebook, yet they become that young intern or that young employee is the primary spokesperson for this entire corporation. And they don't understand that they have the most power because that's where all the eyeballs are. They are in charge of that company's reputation. So yeah. that's why I also advocate they need to be well-paid. They need to be trained. They have to have the resources. Don't treat them like garbage that, you know, that an email doesn't mean anything. It means everything. It, and Alta it found does. that out. Yeah, it, it does. And exactly you to them, oh, it's this new app and we're supposed to be advertising on it. Go figure it out. Some, some Gen Z intern, but that can make it to the New York times if it's done improperly or maybe very properly sometimes good news makes <laughs> headlines yes. but more often than not <laughs> it's bad news so I I thought it was very smart of you I, I remember you saying um I forget if this was on your TikTok channel or on your podcast but you were saying everybody should be versed in Reddit everyone should have to do a course on Reddit on TikTok, on Twitter on all these different apps and what the culture of it is and how it can turn into like one little comic can turn into a wildfire on there and then spread to mainstream media. Oh, absolutely. And I know this, I work deep in the world of Gen Xers and boomers. No one understands Reddit and it's, it's disregarded, which I understand they have businesses to run, they have jobs to do, and it's new to them. I mean, they didn't grow up in the Reddit culture, the Reddit um, ecosystem, but all you have to do is spend a little bit of time there and you can see how damaging it can be um, when your company or your name is in a thread or subthread somewhere, subreddit, how damaging it can be, but also how beneficial it could be if people or, start talking about you in the right way. Or not just a thread, but a snark uh, forum. Yes. I, yes. I am terrified of Reddit. I will very more than more often than not, I'll delete it off my phone and then I'll quickly download it just to see one post that someone sent me. Um, because I, I go down a a deep, dark rabbit hole whenever I'm on it, but I leave feeling like, Oh God, like, I know. And I feel dirty. I feel the same way. I come out feeling dirty. Yeah. But when, um, there was all this scandal around tanks and everything, I was curious to check out this forum. And I didn't realize that. So she has a tank snark forum that has, I think almost 5,000 members, but I also found the whole other world of influencer snark forums. And there's like this one mom who she's lovely. She's a single mom on TikTok. She has twin girls and she does cute little videos with them. It's very, it's very lovely. She has a snark forum with 5,000 people in it to comment. Can you believe that baby bottle had three quarters of the formula, you know, like, (laughs) 
And so I was- It can be scary, right? But at the same time, I, one of the topics you had mentioned is Rachel Hollis and Dave Hollis and, and Heidi Powell. I went deep into that um, into that subreddit. And the reason why I like it working in public relations is some people can look at it as the trollish hoi polloi. Everything they say is just they're complaining, you know, whatever it is. But if you get into a thread where you see people are describing the anatomy of a crisis, and I work in a lot of activism-led crises. In other words, some client is being attacked and they're like, help, you know, what do yeah, we do? Yeah. When I spend time in a Reddit thread, I see human nature in play. I see yes. why people want to start a thread. I want to see why they're complaining. And you see the truth of the matter. And it usually comes down to someone feeling betrayed, lied to, and they just want to enact justice. So that's why all of this is gold to me, this this whole world of online oh, yeah. forums. Yeah. And like some vigilante, like gonzo journalism where people are like, I've done probably looks sometimes like 80 hours worth of research to put together this detailed timeline with all these links. And I'm like, <laughs> sometimes that is the primary news source on certain topics. Oh, absolutely. And so I tend to go in, I mean, yes, you have your trolls in there, but for every one troll, there are a hundred valid people illustrating the problem with this brand or company. You know, you're so right. And I think for me, my tendency is to focus on the negative because that's what I'm kind of dealing with in my own personal life is that I do have an overwhelming amount of positive comments, but I'm grappling with, you know, dealing with the negative ones. And so I'll, I'll focus in on it. And it makes me fascinated to then see what that discourse is on other people. Um, but I just want to, I just want to go over to Twitter. Cause you had talked about the importance of understanding Twitter. Mm. Um, and this was a negative tweet, so to speak, that I was reading about last night. Um, I was reading about the downfall of the Ellen DeGeneres show and, yes. and it was, I, I, I remember hearing about this at first, but I hadn't fully taken in that it was one tweet. It was one person who wasn't famous who said, Hey, write in with your funniest or your, your most horrible times that Ellen was mean to you. And it was part of some fundraiser and mm -hmm. they interviewed him. They were like, what was going on for you? What he's like, I rolled out of bed and I put about five minutes of thought into this. And then I just went about my day. And ultimately it, it was a, a domino effect. It set off a chain of events that took down one of if not like the most popular daytime show since the Oprah Winfrey show uh, lost millions of dollars, thousands of jobs and exposed a whole system of abuse and racism and all these things. So <laughs> the Ellen tweet, um, I wrote about it in my book. I wrote a book during the pandemic called Indestructible. And I highlighted this Ellen story because if I had to explain, because no one understands what I do. My kids don't understand. No one understands what I do. But if I say Ellen DeGeneres Twitter, that's what I do. The comedian that you're referring to, his name was Kevin T. Porter. The only known really for this, but a working comedian asked the simple question, what are the stories about Ellen? And it garnered at the time, like 72,000 retweets or something like that. And all of the stories. So the thread of the real Ellen DeGeneres, right? That's what we're uncovering. So her brand of being 
the nice girl, you know, I'm, you know, this happy Ellen DeGeneres, I'm positive, you know, spreading sunshine and gifts and all these things, you know, via my television show. But we always knew there were rumblings there about the real, uh, real Ellen and Portia, like, you know, her wife, Portia, if you read, you know, the blind items, you could kind of pick it up. You knew something was there. And clearly when this uh, comedian wrote it, he probably knew there was something there as well. But what happened to Ellen, it wasn't just the tweet that was a downfall, in my opinion, which was bad enough, definitely. It was her reaction to it. So the response can make or break you. And what Ellen chose to do, which is the biggest mistake that anyone can make in a crisis, is she disregarded it. She probably disregarded this comedian, disregarded what was happening, disregarded Twitter. No one's on there anyway. But then when people don't respond in time or in kind, the cracks begin to show and it is filled with the truth. And she never responded and she let it go too long thinking, oh, my nice image is gonna carry me. But she's on a television show and television shows need to sell advertising and syndication. And when the ratings go down and when the viral negativity is too strong, it, there's a cost to a reputation. It comes down to money. And she lost her advertisers and then she lost her show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, I mean, part of what the tweet was exposing was that she's a heinous person with a God complex. And so that same thing fed her response and it was, it was all part of the same thing, but it's like, you know, sometimes I talk about, um, on my channel, I'll talk about a certain PR move and then people will say, Oh, but that was that only negatively impacted them. So why would they have done it? And I'm like, well, because they're human and either they didn't have a good team around them or they created a team of yes people or they were given advice and they didn't take it because you know they're megalomaniacs <laughs> absolutely and emily the other piece that you picked up on what i do in my business you can look at pr from a theoretical point of view an academic point of view and you can follow all the steps i always look at it at it from a human point of view, because human behavior is so predictable when you see why people do what they do, especially when it's driven by ego or by fear. And you can predict, like I could predict what Ellen was going to do and what she wasn't going to do. And I also predict, I tweeted it. I said, her show next season is the last season. When she did her apology monologue, I went, she's done because it's so easy. And sure enough, it came out. It's her last season. And I love uh, it was so funny to me because I'm petty how she ended on the 19th season and she was asked about it and she was like no that's what I wanted to do because the 20th is when it's done and the 19th is the final she gave some convoluted response to why she wouldn't have ended on the 20th year and how it was her choice and I was like <laughs> right you're like, I got you're, it yeah. you're really cracking like we're really seeing <laughs> the mask so coming off <laughs> exactly the, yeah the mask slipping as they say yes yeah H have you ever had a client who you've given kind of your best counsel to and then watch them completely crash and just not take your advice that's a great question. I mean, most will take my advice because there's so much at stake and they're hiring me for a reason. But as you mentioned, the mask slipping, I mean, sometimes when I'm working with a client, I may start off with a, a strategy, like we're, we're going to do this, put all these pieces into place. But then I know 
it's not in them, right? Like we can't be too authentic. We can't show too much. I don't think we can do a live here. You know, there's just the, the, and they can't cover how they truly feel. So then instead of, oh, maybe video, maybe we'll do a written statement or maybe we'll do an op-ed. So I have to adjust as we go, but I've never had anyone flame out because if they did, then I wouldn't be doing my job. Right. I guess they, they come to you in a vulnerable state. So most people will be just desperate to change things. And I, I, I see a lot of professions as pseudo therapists, like you're not technically a therapist, but you kind of are in a roundabout way because people are coming to you in truly their most vulnerable moments. Like, do you? Oh, oh that is my hack. That is my hack. I mean, I understand therapy, go to a therapist and listen to everything from a personal point of view, how therapy can help and how you can diagnose people. You know, I kind of armchair diagnose people. I use the same tools when I go into a crisis because I don't, it's not just diagnosing the crisis and what's happening. You have to diagnose the people who started the crisis. You have to understand what drives them. And is it ego? Is it fear? Are they really good people underneath? And actually they are, but then we have to tap into that. So all of it is psychological. So for me, it's a human play the whole time. It's like, I have to figure out a strategy to make this human come out of the crisis. And then the pieces fall into place corporate wise after that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, you're, you're there for the moment of how the mighty have fallen because (laughs) (laughs) exactly, exactly. I'll tell you what to tweet, what to post, what to write. Here's your key message. This is what we're going to say. And it's never about glossing it over. It's never about hiding things. People hire me because I say, we're telling the truth. Okay. We're ripping off the band-aid. We're taking accountability, but then we're going to get through this very, very quickly. And then we're going to get the hell out of here. Okay. And this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, you know, it's like being in any other profession where you can, you can represent quote, so to, so to speak, good people, bad people, but everyone needs some form of representation. And it's so it, it's fascinating to me. So I'm going to get into some questions and I just want to say to the listeners, all the questions that I have for Molly today came from you guys. You wrote in so many good questions. I'm kind of kicking myself that we we won't have time to get through all of them. So if you hear your question um, being asked, just pat yourself on the back because all this is like uh, wiser than what I could have come up with. (laughs) So somebody asked, what are some professional PR tips tricks, protocols people could use in their daily life. So non-public people. Okay. So from a, uh, just like a day-to-day living or as they're working like professional? Well, just sort of like, I guess in the line of like, you know, going through your Twitter from when you were, if you had one, when you were a teenager and when you're applying for a job, you know, when, when you're applying for a job, Googling yourself and seeing what comes up and trying to mitigate that, that sort of thing. Yes. There you go. Okay, good. Yeah. So this is easy. Um, so understanding that the age that we're in right now, everyone is online and, and when people are applying for a job, going to a college, doesn't matter. People are Googling you. It's important to Google yourself on your own Google account that Google knows it's you. And then you go incognito and then you have to Google yourself and find out what other people know about you or where you're posted. I think that's the most important exercise. You have to have a Google alert in your name. Okay.
Okay. Those are just the basics and, um, or anyone even involved in you or, uh, someone that you work with, or it could even be a partner, you know, kids, whatever parents, it's good to know what, how other people are talking because you can end up in those feeds and find photos. I mean, I see that, you know, all the time with myself. Um, also, uh, be mindful of your history. I think we're at that place still where, a lot of millennials started Twitter in high school mm-hmm. where they tweeted completely yeah. stupid, asinine stuff. Um, people, I think, are starting to understand that more and they're not getting, they're not losing their jobs. Like the woman uh, who lost the um, her role as the, she had a job with Teen Vogue, the editor at Teen Vogue, Alexis McCammon. She was an Axios reporter and she lost the job as editor of Teen Vogue because of tweets, you know, when she was much younger. Oh, yeah. People give more of a pass nowadays on that, but it still makes sense to go through and vet Twitter, for instance. That's where I see a lot of damage there. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched The Bachelor and a lot of the contestants on it are younger. So they've had a Twitter since they were like 11 or whatever. <laughs> so, yes. with, and, and so, and because of the type of people that are drawn to go on The Bachelor, it's, it's not the most, like the most quality characters. So every single season, there's always a crop of people who horrific things come out about them and it's you know people ask the producers why didn't you vet this but I think it's part of it it's hard it's part of it and I think we're we're lessening it now like people are kind of understanding but it's still there okay you want to get rid of racist derogatory those bad tweets and the irony like Chris Harrison lost his job because of his response, you know, of, you know, how someone, because of the past from a contestant's um, past and his, uh, his reaction to it. Um, And then, and just, and then also too, is just watching the commentary. Um, I know we've both exhausted tinks, but if you want to show your preferences, if you want to show your thoughts and opinions, know that there's a consequence with it. If you want to do it, that's fine. But you have to be aware that they may come with a consequence because 50% of the people aren't going to agree with it. So you have to be prepared to handle that. Yeah. And I see that play out in my own life where I have a certain type of opinion that I share on my TikTok where I know most of the people seeing it are just passing through, may not know my page. Then I have the comments that I make on my podcast. And then I have the even more unhinged <laughs> comments that I make <laughs> on my, on my Patreon. And it's nothing like, it's nothing like controversial, but it's more just a way of joking around that, that yeah. it's like, you have to know me and you have to know my heart and my just personality in general to know that style of humor. And I don't want anyone to ever read that the wrong way or think I'm coming from uh, any type of judgment or anything. Yeah. If I were younger, I could be a little more unhinged, which I would love and fully embrace. Uh, But just where I'm at in my career, I just have to be mindful of it. So I always have to be middle of the road. You know, I keep my opinions, a lot of my opinions to myself, but I comment, my commentary is on behavior and character. That's where I, that's where I show my real side. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I'm grappling that a bit with that a bit myself because I haven't been on TikTok for that long, but I have watched myself become a lot more censored just because of being scared of the backlash. And I worry that it's watering down the content. And that's only 
due to the 2% of people are so fucking stupid. Sorry, but like just that are so asinine and have no critical thinking skills. And it's a very small majority, but they're quite loud and it does affect me. And I'm, I'm really trying to ground myself in speaking my truth and not being scared of that at the same time. I, I, I do feel it creeping in. Yeah. Because you're a human and because you have feelings. And I love the term and I use this all the time too, is critically thinking. Sometimes people on social media, even the trollish, even the, just the creeps that are on there, they're kind of not thinking either. You know, they're just passively, they're passively, you know, writing their thoughts on you or stupid criticisms. I completely disregard them. And I don't know if you're like me too. When I go through comments, you scan, like I never, ever read comment, comment, comment. Like I'll look for an emoji or I'll look for a word. Cause yeah, you have to gear up for it to like, you know, you have to take it all in at once. Some days you're in the mood for it. And some days you're like, fuck, I'm not, I I don't want to see anyone's opinion on me right now at all. Goodbye. Yeah. 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 No, it's true. I I could stand to read the comments less. Um, (laughs) So speaking of uh, censoring myself, not censoring myself. I want to get into a topic that I've actually been a little afraid to broach myself. And so I'm excited to talk about it with you, which is the royal family. And the reason we or we don't have to get or we don't have to get into it. But I do. I just feel like people get so worked up about anything to do with the royal family, anything to do with Meghan Markle, all that. And I have opinions, but I'm also a bit scared of like what feels like a pit of piranhas just waiting to latch onto what you have to say. The Viper Pit, the two places where I jumped into the Viper Pit, um, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, and Meghan Markle. Like the when Meghan Markle did the Oprah interview and I tweeted about it, oh my God, the Markle, the, the Markle stands out there. Like, how dare you say this about Meghan Markle? And like, I like Meghan Markle, but I also see through Meghan Markle. I mean, she's yeah. she's a perfect person. A she's a composite of someone who wants to do great PR, but is not getting well-served in her PR. So that's why I find her fascinating. Can you, can you elaborate more on that? So, uh, gosh, you know, the Royal family, I don't want to say that I'm like a, what is the term? Not a Royal file, but whatever they are. Um, you know, I'm not, yeah, you, you follow know, along, you keep deeply. Up. <laughs> yeah. I keep up. Exactly. I'm not deeply entrenched in it, but I'm, I'm like, I'm on the people magazine, you know, Twitter level of understanding the Royal family. Uh, it's Netflix, interesting. The crown. It is. It's absolutely interesting. I'm on the, I'm at the age. I remember where I was when princess Diana died. I, I know. Me oh, too. you do? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It was a huge moment because I hadn't really realized at that point that these people were real people and that they were mortal. So that was kind of my oh, first that's big interesting. moment. Of yeah. At that. your age. Yeah. That would, that would absolutely make sense. And for me, it was like the toppling of Diana. I mean, oh my God, at that time, I mean, Diana was vilified in that fight between the Royal family and the palace between what Diana was trying to do. And that's where the similarity is with Meghan Markle. They want to nail it, but they can't. And, and Harry and Meghan have made so many surprising missteps in their departure from the Royal family. And I think, again, like I talk about human behavior, I think Meghan Markle is behind so much of it. Is she, you know, when Harry said, what Meghan wants, Meghan gets. I believe that about her. I think she thought that she could Hollywood her way through the royal family, but they went, no, 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 no. Yeah, well, and and you can like someone or you can, and then also 
be critical of how they carry themselves through certain situations, you know? So what, what are some of those missteps that you've seen? Um, well, I mean, obviously the launch right away, they, they got ahead of themselves and they assumed, I think they assumed a few things. One, that the palace would allow them just to detach from the Royal family, move to Canada, eventually migrate South and end up in Los Angeles. And that there would be no problem that they would be able to monetize the Sussex name and brand everything. I could follow her and assume she wants to be, and they've, the press have speculated this, that she wants to be the next Michelle Obama. That's, that's who she's modeling and branding herself after. Um, and, you know, with Harry at her side, um, not necessarily from a political point of view, but just the whole thing, the whole the brand of it. Yeah. The image of it. She hired, I believe it was sunshine and company, Ken sunshine. He's been around forever. He's done a lot of work. And, uh, but you know, doing Hollywood publicity is much different than doing the Royal family and the Royal family has stands, if you will, they passionately, um, revere the queen. And if anyone is going to cross the queen, they are going to bring them down. And I think even Oprah Winfrey, she dove in and I think she got out and went, Whoa, I made a mistake. I it's either Megan or the queen or the palace. And I can't do that. So that's why you notice, isn't it interesting? Where's the Oprah Markle cross? It's not really there anymore because she knew that she, she could possibly be forever identified with one of the worst moments in Royal history. Oprah's like, I got to get back to my vegetable garden here. (laughs) I'm a little (laughs) over my head. Exactly. Exactly. Gale, get me out of here. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, I was obsessed with their Megan and Harry's notes app, essentially that they posted to their Instagram to depart. (laughs) I was like, I love that I'm living in this age where we're going from this gilded, golden, royal, everything family, everything so regal when they have to present themselves in public to now just Instagram being like, look, we're out. Okay. So people might stand up to us, but we're done. And I was like, oh. Oh my God. And I do think like they wanted to be out, but they wanted it all. You know, they wanted their feet in both places at once. And I also think they learned the biggest lesson is they're not as important and beloved that they thought that they are, that they actually are. That is their biggest mistake. I think they made is they're just, people don't care. Right. Right. And yeah, there's so much there. I've had a lot of people in my life and family members come at, come in so strongly against Meghan Markle. And I think I've never formed too strongly of an opinion other than I feel very sad for her with the type mm-hmm. of racism that she had to face in the, mm-hmm. the British media and mm-hmm. essentially the spear campaign to cover up for Prince Andrew was how, mm-hmm. is, is how I believe it hundred percent. I'm with you on that. I mean, yeah. this is like I wouldn't even say a conspiracy at this point because the palace has had to say, yeah, in very veiled terms, we went in a little too hard. And then you look at the timeline with where Prince Andrew was at while this was all happening and, you know, one plus one equals two kind of thing. Absolutely. A hundred percent, hundred percent with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Megan was rude once to a staff member, <laughs> you know, it's but see, like- I believe all that. Right. And usually in a crisis, it's never black and white. 
And especially in this issue of a black and white issue, I believe in the inherent racism there. I think it was, you know, they're speculating it's Prince William. I believe he was the one that questioned the skin color of the baby. Um, I think Meghan Markle absolutely dealt with racism. But in that timeline, you're right. They had Prince Andrew, who's going to bring everything down. And she became the sacrificial lamb without a doubt. She was collateral damage. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's like if she was rude to a staff member, quote unquote, it's like, how has the queen acted to every staff member? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Lovingly and warmly with a big smile on her face. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Or Prince William. I mean, could you imagine what he would be like, you know, to his staff? So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, the, the knives were out for her, but they played, they played the wrong card, I think to, right. to have it favoring them. Right. Right. And yeah, I guess I see her in a very tough spot because when they asked her, did you know that Harry was a prince and all that and she said no I didn't really know much about him like I get that that was not true what she said there's a very slim chance that that's true that she said she had no idea who he was didn't really know much about the royal family and all that but if she had said yes I did know (laughs) then she would have been labeled as a fame hungry person of course but that's where having a response and really having a plan and being prepared like look what you said about princess Diana when she died how much of an impact that made on you? How could the death of Princess Diana not make an impact? You know, her mother-in-law now on her. So she obviously knew who they were, but she could have responded in a way that says, we are all aware of Princess Diana and the work of the royal family. I wasn't as familiar with the day-to-day of Prince Harry um, or the royal family, but yada, da, da, da. You know, that's how you can message it. Okay. They'll no, still you- tear it apart. They'll still tear it apart, mind you, but it won't be as bad because it's a lie and no one wants to be called a liar. You, you just answered my next question, which was going to be, how would you have treated that? But I like that we all are aware, but I was very lightly aware, just a yes. little bit of the truth. Yeah. It's bringing everyone in that someone can relate to. I'm like, naturally, like we're all familiar with the Royal family. Don't just call me out on it. So I use that a lot in response is bring in the masses, bring in the hoi poli, bring in everyone. Because when you don't make it about you, because in many times in attacks, they want to make it about you. So your strategy is to make it about everyone. That's how you deflect it. Well, and you see that all the time with celebrities making mistakes and being like, well, we're all growing. We're all a work in progress. And it's like, yeah, sure. We are all growing, but there's different degrees of that. There's like, did you, did you cyber bully a teen when you were an adult or were you just, were you just kind of mean to someone in the seventh grade, you know? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So Emily, you brought up a distinction. So when someone is really called out for something like in Megan's case, she was answering to just, just general questions, right. That she had to navigate gingerly. But when someone does something wrong, like when a Chrissy Teigen is absolutely called out (laughs) for um, disparaging, criticizing, like just really going after and bullying D-list, C-list people, you've got to own up to it. Not all of us are learning. Well, it was a time when everyone was doing this on the internet. No, (laughs) you screwed up. You're an asshole and you have to admit that you were and let's go. And then we got to move on. You were, you were 27 bullying someone who is clearly a child being groomed by yes. a predator left to the wolves. And and not that this was so inherently recognized at the time, but I think people kind of made fun of Courtney Stodden, but most people weren't like, you know, go kill yourself, like telling her that privately. Exactly. 
exactly. I mean, you felt sorry for everybody knew what was going on. I mean, I knew him. And when I saw that come out, like, what? Like, this is bad. This, and I'm thinking immediately, no way anyone is hiring this guy ever again. Like the Green yeah. Mile is his last, is his last film. Definitely. As it should be. I mean, yeah. And, and I, I am cynical. I don't think people change that much. I think who you inherently are by your late twenties is who you are personality wise. You can learn lessons. You can learn anti anti-racist type of ideologies, that, that sort of thing. You can learn about the other side of let's say a marginalized group that you hadn't considered, but to be so rotten to your core that you are telling people, you know, to, to what Chrissy Teigen said, who knows who else she was saying that kind of stuff to who wasn't brave enough to speak out. And I'm like, no, we need, we need to do away with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Goodbye. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to the topic of John Mulaney. So this (gasps) is, (laughs) this is a rich text. (laughs) Oh, John Mulaney. (laughs) You know how, oh yeah. Where do we begin? So someone had asked about John Mulaney and asked about the recent uh, comedy set that he did with Dave Chappelle opening for it. And I want to get into that, but I also just want to talk in general about his past couple years, a little overview, but essentially just to recap listeners. So he did a comedy set, I think this week, maybe where he brought out Dave Chappelle as a surprise opener and people were very upset. Dave Chappelle has a history of making transphobic jokes. And I actually had someone DM me who was at that comedy set. And she said it was extremely uncomfortable. Um, She was there with a trans person. So they had to, they just left for most of that opening set because they were just so uncomfortable. They said that they came back and, and heard other people talking heard bits of the, the set where he was, he was making doubling down on his transphobic jokes. He was talking about how Louis CK is a good guy on and Mm. on. And Mm. so what, where do we begin? (laughs) Oh, where do we begin? You know, where I would begin is I'm a John Mulaney fan. Are you a John Mulaney fan? Oh, I think, well, weren't weren't we all? I mean, I I still love his comedy. I think he's a brilliant comedian. And, and as far as, and as far as the scandals, I wouldn't say, people are like, I'm so mad at him. I, I wasn't so personally invested. And I think most of the ways that he's crashed and burned is really just affecting people in his own life. So I'm like, that's fine. You know, yeah. <laughs> leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, usually if that's, if that's your scandal, whatever, I, I don't really care about that. Yeah, There so was, much. there was definitely a time where someone creeping out on their wife, getting someone pregnant and then having to roll out, you know, go through treatment. That would be a career ender. We, we would never have heard from John Mulaney again. That's now it's not this time. I mean, you can do it. And I think, again, people understand there is, there's more leeway given to people nowadays for human failures. What do you think has changed? Do you think it's just everything being, um, being so online or wh- why do you think that shift happened that now that isn't a career ender? Because people can't hide anymore. There was a time where, where leaks happened in the New York post or in tabloids 
newspaper, television, it took a while and you had to go through a lot of channels and over a lot of hurdles to have a story become exposed. And even if people knew information, they had to vet it through legal and can we get sued? And is this defamatory? So um, it, so all of these things are, um, are now opening the doors because you know, people call, you know, look at these accusations there that you might plant in the press. People have to then go to court. I mean, look at Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, Amber Heard, and they have to go to trial to prove that someone was, you know, slandered in order to think. Social media has completely opened the door on that. Did you tweet that? Yes. Guilty. You know, it's as simple as that, right. you know, so right. now everybody's lives are exposed and you can't get away with anything anymore. So that's what I think happened. It, it it makes me think of there was this time in the in the 2000s when Nicole Richie was going through all these scandals with drugs and partying and um, disordered eating just like just it, she was sort of having a really rough time in the press and I remember her dad Lionel Richie saying look we all did crazy stuff when we were younger but when I was young when I was coming up in the industry you just flew to Amsterdam and you partied for three weeks and you flew back no one knew what went on no one took photos no one tracked you down and you just you did it all and it and it just disappeared so yes. he's like look she's having to live out in public and grow up where she can't hide so yeah that's and also all of these, um, you know, all of these behaviors often come to light because it's via social media. So when a comedian slips into someone's DMs or, you know, if someone does something on video, like Ben Affleck on the Raya app, like people are going to expose it on video. So you, you can't, you, you can't, no one can hide anymore. No one can hide. So that's why I think people are more accustomed to it. And they, and they model their response around it, knowing that people, they know the good, bad, and the ugly, and they have to respond to everything. Right. And, and what do you think about John Mulaney having this fall from grace in the public eye? So many people have turned their back on him and for him to then bring out a surprise opener who's very controversial at the moment. So John Mulaney is, I think John Mulaney is interesting and he's a different type of case study because John Mulaney universally is beloved. People love him. There aren't people that say, eh, that's not my can my comedy. You know, like, it, like people are going to love or hate a, a Dave Chappelle, but John Mulaney's pretty universal. He's mom and pop, apple pie, you know, Georgetown kid, Catholic from Chicago, you know, grew up with a family with two parents who were in law school with Bill Clinton, former president Bill Clinton. Yet he had this crazy wild, you know, drug habit and, and but he was very open about it. And that's why I think people liked him. He exposed his skeletons with comedy. So he created a lot of padding for himself reputationally because he exposed everything on his own in his sets. So what he did with his wife, Anna Marie Tendler, so, you know, he cheated on her. People cheat, happens all the time. People get leeway for that. Okay, people get pregnant. You know, people date, you know, Olivia Munn and then, and then she ends up pregnant. Like, okay, people get that. People understand addiction and people understand it. But they're still with him, right? They they want they want to believe in him. Um, when the divorce first happened, you certainly had people who he lost and they were on team Anna Marie, right? Like they said, screw Mulaney, you know, we love her. But people love to laugh and it's the pandemic. And so he's on SNL. But I think this Dave Chappelle moment is Mulaney passed a Rubicon, if you will, because he made a stand by standing next to Chappelle and allowing him to not only align himself with someone 
who is transphobic or makes transphobic jokes. Um, he laughed along, brought him to his audience. So Mulaney is making this point right now. I think he regrets it, to be honest. But I think what the driver is for Mulaney is not pleasing his fans. It's pleasing the machine and Hollywood and people who hire him. That's what I think is happening there. So he has to align himself pro-comedian, pro-industry, because okay. that's where he's trying to go. Okay. So just really, I guess, in a way, sort of skirting past his personal issues and saying, look, I'm really focused on being a comedy juggernaut and I'm aligning myself with this historical comedian. I mean, for better or for worse, I grew up watching The Chappelle Show. I haven't watched it since high school, but if I went back, I'm sure I would be pretty horrified by most of the jokes, but <laughs> yeah. it was one of my favorite shows. And Dave Chappelle has remained constant and hasn't really adapted to this very quickly shifting world. So it's I, difficult. So Dave Chappelle though is like a Richard Pryor, like in my time, I think Dave Chappelle's a comedian's comedian. So you yeah. need to align your, no one, no comedian who wants to work is, is not going to align themselves with Chappelle. And Richard Pryor was kind of the same way. You hear all the, the comedians in my generation say, Oh, we looked up to Richard Pryor. That guy was a mess. That guy would not have lasted in today's generation with all the things that he did. So I think Mulaney is aligning himself with the machine. And I don't know if you saw Mulaney did a guest uh, stint on uh, Jimmy Kimmel last week with Andy Sam. Samberg. Um, they stepped in at the last minute because Jimmy Kimmel had COVID and Andy Samberg and John Mulaney have a new cartoon coming out, Chip and Dale. I thought, okay, there's a pivot. They're doing a cartoon, but the jokes they kept making about, uh, you can see Chip and Dale on Disney plus not in your local theaters. And they kept saying it as a joke, but you could read behind again, that human behavior. It's like John Mulaney's pissed that that was, this was not picked up for theatrical release. So I think he's concerned, like, where's my brand going? Like I went straight to Disney. So that's why I think he's making these somewhat strategic and might be somewhat odd moves. He needs to align himself with Hollywood and business. Right. He's chosen his lane and his lane is being a comedian's comedian, which I guess that, that does, when you put it that way, it does seem smart in a way, because I look at uh, a transphobic set, you know, being picked up by Netflix in this day and age. And I'm pretty horrified, but I do very much remember that it was until about maybe 2015, that it was completely socially acceptable to make video, to make media where mm. trans people were the butt of the joke. That was the only, almost the only language that was being projected until very recently. So we forget it doesn't excuse it but you know <laughs> for someone who's been in the comedy game for I don't know how many decades it's sort of I don't know <laughs> I don't know where I'm going this like it's it's interesting because it's easy to not situate Chappelle in history but for real comedy lovers they haven't forgotten and they'll still support him no matter what and so mm -hmm. It's interesting for John Mulaney to, to choose that lane because he's like, look, the, the common folk and the people who aren't super passionate about comedy aren't going to like me at this point. So I'll just, right. but he'll always fill seats. You'll ne there'll never be a John Mulaney show that has extra seats. So they're going for half price. He will always fill the arenas. People will always love him, but now he needs to place himself and position himself as a next tier comedian. I think that's yeah. what we're seeing. Yeah. And, and that's why I still 
stand with him. I mean, I think Anna Marie Tendler is a stunning person. I think her art moves me to 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 so to feel so many emotions. I think Olivia yes. Munn is is obnoxious, but yes. that's his personal. That's his business. Who cares? Exactly. And when you compare it to someone like Louis C.K., who is disgusting and a predator and should have gone to jail, in my opinion, for for the things he did and his weak non-apology, he's still selling out shows. He won a Grammy this year for best comedy album. So John Mulaney can do whatever he wants in his personal life. Yes, but it's still, if we, again, human nature, you go back to ego. I bet... um, uh, Louis C.K. though is sitting there just stressed that he's lost though this um, the fandom that he once had. I mean, he was a headliner. He was SNL. He's he still was un- a little- he was untouchable. He was he was, but he's still radioactive in circles. So yes, well, people will love you and passionately still love you, but yet he's still somewhat radioactive. And I think inside that makes him crazy. He's seething still. Right. That's interesting to think about because I always say that cancel culture isn't real because these things happen. And then you'll have a certain camp of people that say, oh, they've paid enough for what they've done. And when you look at what they've done, well, in Louis C.K.'s case, violating someone is a crime. And not that I think prisons are the answer for everything, but people like that, I do want (laughs) them to sit in a jail cell for a bit and think about what they've done. And yet, obviously, that never happens. You have to be basically Harvey Weinstein to actually face any real legal consequences. And yet, it is interesting to think of him as radioactive because before, I'm sure he could pitch to any network, any movie, any show, any anything, anything he wanted to do. And it was like, of course. But now he has to be very careful and covert about it. Yeah. And also comedians, like I think you and I are discovering, it's like comedians are their own ecosystem. They There's more leeway allowed to comedy because people love to laugh at extreme humor. Like people love that. They want it. So they'll, I think they'll give their, their comedians a little more line, so to speak, you know, to, to be able to go off and push the envelope and push the edge a little because they want to be entertained. They get something back. They make them laugh. So that's why I think they're allowed it, or at least they get away with it, let's say. Well, and there's like, you know, there's a lot of people who don't think he did anything wrong. I know people in my personal life who's like, obviously we all know he didn't do anything wrong. And I clearly disagree, but it puts all comedians in an interesting place because comedy is making subversive comments about society. And so to do that without quote unquote being offensive is an interesting thing to navigate. Yeah. And no one's, and no one's nailed it yet. No one's completely figured it out. Right. Right. Well, I would say that for John Mulaney, his comedy is unproblematic as much as that word problematic is overused. I think he, that's why he's so beloved or was, is what, whatever, because he managed to have this, these comedy sets that were so funny, but it wasn't making fun of other people. He was always the making butt of the fun joke. Of himself. Yes. It was, it was somehow clean yet raunchy at the same time, but it was never yes. being mean or picking on people. It was just, it, it was brilliant. And he is, I mean, he is brilliant. He went to Georgetown, but he's smart. I mean, he goes on stage in a suit. 
he's clean cut. And even the optics of this clean cut guy talking about how he got his drugs or this clean cut guy talking about his experience in rehab and how no one knew who he was. Like he put out a magazine with an article that said John Mulaney and treatment and no one knew who I was. That's self-deprecating humor. And people love that. That's why John Mulaney, I still love the guy. I think he's brilliant. And this is why I think he'll be able to navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I'm interested to see how it plays out, but yeah, I'm sure he will come out He'll be just fine, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you have thoughts on PR relationships in general? It's a very broad concept. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, they exist everywhere. Like, I'm still convinced that Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani were still a PR relationship, even though they've been married now for two years. But I think it was just NBC saying, we need, we need some, you know, ratings boost of women 25 to 54, uh, Gwen, you know, you and Blake get together. I'm still not convinced that they love each other, but, um, it has to exist. I mean, PR has existed for decades in Hollywood. You need it, you know, confidential magazine, you had all of it, but now people are trying to, um, you see more behind the scenes and you see people who are really, really good at it, but I can't look at Ben Affleck and JLo and say, oh, this is real. Oh yeah. Look at them. Like, oh, they're such a good couple. No, all I can see is the PR, you know, behind it. So when it fails, it's like, okay, there's the schadenfreude, you know, that's why it should fail because yeah. I believe there's some emotion. I think JLo's still more into it. Cause she's still the wounded JLo, but Ben, I mean, come on. I don't know. That's not going the long haul. Well, yeah, to me, they're a very obvious and kind of extreme example to me they're PR couple 101 because it's clear to even people who've never heard of this concept that there's maybe something amiss here yes (laughs) but then you get into more subtle situations like Taylor Swift and her relationship with Joe Alwyn where they're very very private and yet every photo of them out and about is generally backgrid and there's a lot of things that they put out there that line up with content of hers coming out. And to me, that's always a tip off. Oh yeah. And I did hear though, that uh, it was a interview, a podcast interview with two photographers. And they did say that not everything on Backgrid is publicity that they do have some that, you know, are genuine, but I think now the rule of thumb is you just have to assume, and maybe you're like me, when I see someone pop up online um, anywhere. I always assume that it's, that it's publicity. I mean, it's, there's not a lot of in the wild photos that happen there because if people really don't want to be seen, they're not going to want, they're not going to be seen. I mean, people can get away and, and hide if you will, from the public, but I think people play the media and play the press and play social media to their benefit, because at the end of the line, there's just money at the end of the line. Yeah. And that's, that's what I always say. It's like, people are seen when they want to be seen. When have you ever seen a paparazzi photo of Oprah and Stedman out and about? Have, right. Has that yes. ever happened? Yes, <laughs> Getting exactly. Starbucks? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, one good question that Oprah never goes out and gets her own Starbucks, but you're right. You never but, see people looking awful, like just going in their sweats and getting a coffee. Like you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, well, people she, my age, I should say, not well, younger she, people. Yeah. 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 Well, she has she has people getting her coffee, but you don't have to be a billionaire to have someone, an assistant going on a Starbucks run for you or yes, yeah. something of the like, or for you to go to your coffee shop and just quickly, you know, have someone meet you at the, the back door or whatever, just not be seen basically. 
Yeah. And everybody knows this, which is why I think people are interested in the private lives. And when people explode and when their crises explode and spill out into the public space, people like it because we're finally seeing genuine content. Like we're seeing the real story of what's happening because people are, I think, tired of seeing the fabricated curation. We're done with like all of us know it when we see it, but when you get to see it in the wild and the real, then it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you say everyone knows it, but it's like, I still get so many people every time I talk about this stuff saying you're reading way too into it. They seem happy. They're fine. Why would they be fake? And oh, you're right. You're right. I'm going to say that to you too. You're absolutely 100% right. And I'm like, come on guys, come on. Yeah. Like the get masses. with the pro get with the program. <laughs> what do you yes. think? They're they're just like, what do you feel like doing? What do you feel like doing for dinner tonight? Do you want to go to Carbone? Yeah, I think the pasta there is good. <laughs> you think that's happening with Kim and P? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You think they just oh have a God. pasta recipe they just can't get enough of? And that's where they want to decide to go <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think when they they know that the people who matter, you know, people you know, online, in the press, the opinion makers, like they know that they see through it, but you're right. The mass is out there. Their, their fan, their public are going to buy into it. And that's where the money is too. Well, and I say too, like, if you want to believe the fantasy, go ahead. You don't have to be media savvy. Knock yourself out. Absolutely. If you want to enjoy it at face value and it's not harming anyone, go right ahead. Absolutely. You think Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian are sitting in Staten Island eating McDonald's, then good on you. You know, (laughs) fabulous. You know, you go (laughs) off on that. But, you know, most people know. Last question for you. You've been so generous with your time, but I really have to get into very briefly the topic of the whole Hollis empire. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, Rachel Hollis was this self-help guru. I mean, she still is a self-help guru. She had a multi-million billion dollar self-help empire and had these sort of cult-like conferences that she would host and then had a big scandal last year because of TikTok and is trying to claw her, ba- her claw her way back into relevancy and it's not going very well and she's gone through a very public divorce during this time which is relevant because so much of her brand relied on her incredible marriage and so she's they're they're all pushing through that what are your thoughts on this hot mess <laughs> It's a hot mess. I spend so much time in the whole Hollis circle because I'm learning so much as a crisis PR expert following it. Um, I had mentioned that a lot of my clients come to me because of um, activism issues where their clients or public kind of act out and attack them. And I can see it in real time every day when I go into the Hollis uncensored Reddit thread, because there are 9,000 people in there who are pissed off for investing sometimes thousands of dollars on Hollis merch and books and self-help books and, uh, and, uh, subscriptions and apps and all this. And it all turned out to be false. You know, these false profits that are there. Um, the Hollis, I, where I'm not a Hollis follower by any means. Um, but I understand as an online entrepreneur, I'm in that world that I get how they operate, how their business operates. So I'm fascinated by it. And a lot of the people who follow them. Now, Toilet Gate, when that happened during COVID, (laughs) 
my every antenna went off on me. It's like I could feel electricity. I'm like, oh, this is the end of Rachel Hollis. And the irony that it happened on TikTok. So it happened on a medium that she was not comfortable using, which is where a lot of crises can happen too. And she chose to react again. The real, the mask slipped. We saw the real Rachel and she got destroyed by that. Um, so where we are right now, uh, Rachel and Dave Hollis, her husband, they're, they're divorced. He's taken up with Heidi Powell, who's an, another fitness influencer, who everyone on, on the Hollis Uncensored thinks she has eating disorders that have not been addressed. Oh, 100. I mean, I don't- Attachment theory, right? Or attach theory, that's PR. She has an attachment issue, you know, with Dave. Oh yeah. Well, they, they, Heidi was a wellness. They're, they're all in this sphere of very wealthy white people selling how to live your best life, sort of toxic positivity (laughs) wrapped in diet culture, wrapped in look at how amazing I am type of brand, which was very popular. Not that long ago, a couple of years ago, people were super into it. And you agree with me now that it is that it's run its course right now that people are onto that cult culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I, I didn't follow Rachel Hollis particularly, but I'm, I did give my time and my money to people, I would say similar to her during vulnerable times in my life. So that's part of why I am so interested in this, but I'm discovering everyone loves to hate Rachel (laughs) because she's running a masterclass in how to do every single thing wrong. (laughs) She is. And then has the nerve to sell her own masterclasses on how to do everything right when she's in the process of doing it wrong and her husband is doing the exact same thing. So it's almost the nerve of these people and we're watching it happen in real time. And you mentioned you followed people like her during a vulnerable time. And that's the problem that people have with them is they're taking advantage of vulnerability over and over and over again. And people are not standing for it. Yeah. And in case anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, she went on to TikTok last year and she said, someone called me privilege and I work my ass off. And there's a woman that comes and scrubs my toilets and I've worked so hard for that. And then she then went on to compare herself to Maya Angelou, Harriet Tubman, uh, who else? Oprah. Um, uh, uh, Ginsburg, <laughs> Ginsburg, like on and on and on, just the most, and then, yeah. and then followed it up by saying, oh, my team made me post that or so, or like she yes. gave a terrible non-apology and then said her team made her post. And she's like, I regret allowing my team to make this decision. Just such a train, train wreck, train crash, train crash, car, all crash? of it off the off, rails, off, off the rails. Crash, yes everything. And when I talked about it online, I had a lot of people say, I'm really embarrassed that I was really into her. And I said, I was into a Rachel Hollis proxy. I ate it up because I, we're all trying to take the edge off of how difficult life can be. So Rachel Hollis comes in super confidently and is like, girl, get up, wash your face. (laughs) Girl, get off your ass and do something. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And she, and how you said it too, is she came into you. She came into everyone's phones, Facebooks, her Instagram live with her husband every single morning. You know, she's online, she's in an app, she's everywhere. A vulnerable person spends their time. 
and she took it and she did good. And you had your proxy who I'm dying to know who your Rachel proxy is, by the way. Um, but she, she did deliver content and help people, but it's that false prophet that was revealed that is, is, that has caused so much anger and resentment. And the fact that Rachel and her husband and Heidi Powell still operate without any accountability whatsoever and still taking advantage of people. Yeah. I mean, she had a whole podcast on having an amazing relationship, how to have amazing, or she ran conferences on how to have an amazing relationship. And that was a lot of, oh no, she did have a podcast with her husband about their incredible marriage and together rise together. They did not rise together in the end. They rose apart. (laughs) They fell together. Yeah. 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 They fell apart. Mm -hmm. And then she had the audacity to say, look, we divorced, but it's none of your business. And I want everyone to stop prying into my personal life. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I'm all here for the, um, watching the two of them go through their divorce via podcast and via social media. I'm I'm here for it as are 8,999 other people on Reddit, because it is a fascinating train wreck to watch. Yeah. And I, I listened to her podcast about the, the first podcast she put out about her divorce and everything. And she did this thing that she's not the only person I've seen do this say, I'm only going to tell my side of things. I'm only going to tell my truth, but then give these veiled passive aggressive comments. She's like, Dave did horrible things, but I'm not going to talk about that because that's his story to tell. But he, the, all the ways that he hurt me, that's not my business. I'm only going to talk about my side. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, My husband led a double life. Well, what was the double life? We'll let Reddit figure out what the double life is. I mean, it was so calculated. Well, and he, so and, manipulative. Well, yeah. And then shortly after he went to rehab, but it was clear that she was hinting at some sort of substance abuse type of thing. Maybe that was one of the things people read into it, but it's like at the same time, if you're going to put your partner, your ex on blast and say, oh, he was living a double life. Oh, th- you better tell us why. And Either shut up or put out. Yeah. Or put out. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was that double life? Was he going to like KKK rallies or was he cheating on you? Like what exactly (laughs) what level are we exactly? And that's why, you know, and, and as much as I do not like the Dave, Dave, anything that Dave Hollis does or stands for right now, because he's made every misstep. And I, I do think he falls on the narcissism spectrum. He's definitely on one side of it. However, oh, where I feel both, for the they're guy, both, they're both, they're both narcissist. awful. I mean, they're both <laughs> awful. They really are. Yeah. But she has put him in a place where she's leveraging all of her followers, all the people who passionately follow her. And she has found a way to disparage this guy into irrelevancy. He cannot find a footing in anything. So I think her evil plan actually worked is she just wanted to dispel him and it's, and it's worked. He's still hanging on, you know, using, uh, you know, Heidi Powell and he still has like, I think his podcast numbers are so high because so many Hollis fans subscribed, but then they never unsubscribed. So I think so much of their fame is false. Well, yeah, I, I need to dig into more of where they are at this moment, like this month. But he may not be able to find a footing, but I don't know how many fans does she still have? Does she still have the Mormon mommy bloggers like into her? What, what's her 
crew. <laughs> I wonder too. So I, so the bellwether now is, so she has a book coming out allegedly. So it's on Amazon. <laughs> so, and- <laughs> I almost spit out my water. I'm like another book. Girl, stop putting books out. It should be the title. <laughs> yes. Girl, just stop. Exactly. So she, so I asked the question. So I went into Reddit and I said, could someone just verify this for me? Like, is this really happening? So she has a book it's untitled health by Lou Silo, S-I-L-L-O-H, which is Hollis in reverse. It's so clever. So we think it's been said um, that she wrote it during the pandemic. She chose, um, what was her third book? Girl, what you doing? No, what is it? Um, Didn't see that coming, right? That awful, didn't see that coming during the pandemic. And that this one was on the shelf and now it's going to be revealed. And also that she's coming out with a speaking tour a la uh, Oprah. So it's not Rise. So she's saying it's like Rise, but it's not Rise. So I think we're going to truly see where her fandom lies with a book because you can't hide book scan numbers. You cannot. Anyone can uh, do that. Well, you can't you hide can, you can buy. You can buy your own books, but then they put the dagger next to it. Although I don't think people, a lot, I don't know how many people know about that. No, tell me. Oh, so there's on the New York Times bestseller list, there are the numbers and then there's a little dagger symbol. So I'll actually post a screenshot of this in the episode description. And when that dagger symbol appears there, it's because they have suspicion that mass numbers were purchased by the author themselves. And there's a surprising amount on every bestseller list that I've seen. There's often little daggers throughout. Yeah. So this, I just know, having gone into the publishing world with the book and everything, I've definitely have learned a, a lot of the tricks and what they do. I did not know about the dagger though. I think it's a recent thing. I think they just, they just started doing this not, not too long ago. Oh, yeah. I, oh my gosh. I love this. <laughs> so it's like the world has moved away from how business is done from an online influencer point of view. I think we're going to see finally the Rachel Hollis, who's going to flame out because who is going to go to these events and she might get her core small group of those Christian Mormon blogger, military spouse, people who still believe in her and she's still taking advantage of, and people may buy that book, but she will purchase that book. But I think her time has come and gone. Right. Uh, I think there are enough (laughs) Mormon military spouses out there to keep the lights on for her. (laughs) 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 You know, there will always be someone who's like, everyone has hard days and they're too hard on her on and on. But she definitely, I can't, I think, come back to that number one untouchable type of status. Because so many people are coming up for air and they're like, oh my God, I bought the books. How did I buy those books? How did I? Yes, exactly. But you know what? This is a perfect person to end on too, because everyone who we talked about, they may come out of it. They may have their fans, but you need to um, solve the ego riddle. In other words, is your ego going to be able to handle empty seats low book sales. That's the prize. It's not how many people follow or like her Instagram post is she wants to, now she's trying to make it in music. She wants to be not just a brand. She wants to be a big brand. She wants to be iconic. She wants to be on the New York times bestseller. She wants to be on Oprah. When you lose that, that is a a long fall from grace to the bottom. And, And people with an ego don't like to be there. And it turns out that 
it's very easy now to peel back the layers of it and see that her entire brand was built on ego alone. And that's the difference between her and let's say John Mulaney, who his whole brand was built always before his scandals on, look, I'm a very, very flawed person and I've messed up my life many times. And here I am making jokes about it. Whereas hers was look at how perfect everything is girl. I did it. So you can't too. You also can have a Disney executive husband who funds your business. (laughs) Exactly. Or not, or, and and you can have a Disney executive um, husband and then you show up on the Disney channel, you know, like promoting your new wares when she was starting off or when you have a book, oh, you go on GMA, which is owned by, oh, Disney. So I hadn't even put that together. Yeah. So, I mean, she had the inroads in and it's, and it's that lack of transparency I would never criticize anyone for following Rachel Hollis. We all follow no. who we follow. We all, you know, we all like people for a reason. And, but it's the people who we feel sorry for that we feel they're being taken advantage of. That's yeah. the problem that I have. It's taking advantage of those people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just now it's so comedic to look back. And that whole time she was telling us that it's because she woke up at 5 a.m. And yeah. why are you being lazy and not doing that as well? Exactly. As someone who wakes up at 5 a.m. and I'm running my, you know, my, you know, my crazy circus in my life, like, no, waking up at 5 a.m. does nothing. It just gives you an extra hour of the craziness of your life. And, and that she got so many women to not have sleep during probably an incredible, vulnerable time for them. Or reprehensible. Or months before her marriage was over, I think two or three months, she was like, she she put out this podcast about how you have to have sex every single day, no matter what, for 30 days. And you have to do this challenge. And her and Dave are doing this challenge. And I was like, this is terrible blanket advice to give out. (laughs) To everyone. Exactly. Everyone. Everyone's in different situations. That's a very, that's not some like fun try to drink more water challenge for 30 days. You know, it's a little different. I will admit, and this is my snarky bad side. There is schadenfreude with her. Like I want, I take glee in watching those people fail. I I do. Oh, same. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of my channel, I think is built on schadenfreude. (laughs) (laughs) I've said this before, but I actually, um, I, I had a godmother and she was from Germany and her mother used to say schadenfreude is the bestest freude. Yes. Oh, I saw that TikTok of yours. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 I thought it was so funny. Like joy from other people's suffering is the best joy. (laughs) (laughs) And if, and if other people don't want to say it, don't worry. I will. (laughs) Good. All right. I'll be like-minded there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. Molly, this has been such a delight. So, so wonderful. Um, Emily, this was fun. Thank you so much. I love like talking in this world and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. And so before you go, I want you to let everyone know where they can find you. So your, your, your book, your podcast, everything. Tell us, <laughs> uh, tell us. So, um, the book is called indestructible. My podcast is indestructible PR. So I like to talk about, you know, yes, PR strategies, but it's really an anatomy of a crisis and why they happen. And yes, I always get into the pop culture and movie television references, you know, where I can TikTok is more of the PR pop culture, which is where our worlds intersected in there. I'm, um, at Molly B 
um, McP, but mostly on social media. I'm at Molly McPherson. You can kind of find me anywhere, but thank you. Okay. And all of that will be in the episode description and guys go check out Molly's podcast. It's such bite-sized, amazing, like very accessible information on the anatomy of a scandal. So it's the type of stuff we love around here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for letting me come into your world and your fabulous millennial world and all this stuff that you're doing. I love it. I love that you take someone my age in. I'm so happy. Are you you kidding me? Accepted into the party. I love it. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? I have... I, I'm I mean, like, who invited the mom to the party? I'm like, I'm that mom. It's like, come I, on, what are we talking about? Well, I'm that mom every day to the TikTok kids. They're like, they're like, you're like 30. They'll always say you're like 30. Why are you talking? And I'm like, I know. Guys, oh, wait till you're my age, please. Yeah, oh my guys, God. guys, listen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You haven't lived until you've been cyberbullied by a 14 year old. <laughs> exactly i'm with you on that oh my gosh emily this was great yeah thank you so much molly and have a great rest of your day you too all right guys that's it for today's episode if you like what you've heard please subscribe to the podcast hit me with a five-star review if you'd like to support it any further you can go to patreon.com slash it's become a whole thing au revoir mes amour